0: Hey there! Welcome to Season 2 of Race the Brow with Nishka and Malaika. If you've been with us through Season 1 and are still here, then hey, we love you. And if you're new here, then welcome, welcome, welcome. This season, we have lined up stories of some kick-ass Indians from across the globe who are reshaping our Indian society by being who they are. Because, you know, f**k bolenge. This season, we are also bringing in some experts on relationships, love, sex, life and everything that happens in between. So, we hope you enjoy this episode as much as we have enjoyed putting it together.
1: Hi Nidhi, Uh, welcome to Raise the Brow with Nishka and me and how are you doing today? hi i'm doing really really well thank
2: you so much for having me on raise the bro it's an absolute pleasure to be here
0: oh it's our pleasure how's How your pleasure. day going mr my day is going amazing Amazing! amazing. <laughs> <laughs> is this your first podcast maybe
2: no i have done a few podcasts before i think oh. it's like my fourth or fifth podcast so i tend to do a bit of podcasts and live as i go by so
0: So, for our listeners out there, uh, Dr. Nivi is Dr. Nivi formerly calling her, is your one stop shop for all things sexual health. And she is on this amazing mission to untaboo. So, which is why she's here on our podcast. And which is why we love her. So, (laughs) (laughs) So, Nivi, today we are here to discuss how to build trust and intimate relationships how to tell your partner that you're not sexually satisfied the dif- and the difference between consent and coercion. And most importantly, how to say no in the bedroom. Yep. That's the big one. I yes. don't even know it, how to navigate that. Yeah. It's a bit scary to even say it. So yep. that's a big one. It's not yeah. easy. Yep. So uh, Nivi, you stumbled into sexual health quite by chance. And it's something that you hadn't planned for. You studied something else and now you're doing something else. Tell us how that happened.
2: Right. See, on on saying that, I should say that I studied dermatology in India. And when I studied dermatology in India, the venereology degree, which is the sexual health, actually comes as a combined degree with dermatology. So I did study venereology, but our venereology training, I think, is very, very Clinical, like in the sense we are really trained to diagnose STIs really well, and we know how to manage them and how to treat them. And we're such fantastic clinicians in that point. Uh, so that's what I was actually trained to do. And I think I did that pretty well. But I think only later during, you know, as I grew in my career, I learned that that is actually not enough for sexual health. And that's actually not enough training at all and that's not what is needed you know it's not like fever cold cough where you diagnose and treat the illness there is so much more that is involved in sexual health and I think that is lacking even in training back home So yeah, so kind of that kind of a background. I came to Sydney and I was looking for a job in uh, dermatology, and I think it just so happened. It's such a high demand job in Derm everywhere. And that year, because I was a you know new immigrant, I really did not get a job in Derm. And people recognized this venereology degree, and they said, "Oh, but you have this. Do you want to take this job in sexual health?" And I said, "Oh." I said, is that a whole department on its own? And they said, yeah, it is. And I said, what what do you do all day long in a whole department for sexual health? You know, because I studied part of like it was a very, very minimum and a very mm, unspoken, subtle part of my degree. So I said, "Okay, fine, let's go and see what is what is happening. And I thought it's going to be really like nothing you know so I went and took the job and I thought okay next year I'm definitely going to get into the derm job and I took the sexual health job and and I think it is 11 years now that I'm still in the same job doing the same thing because I fell in love with that job and I thought uh, I always it was the back of my mind you know this is something that my country needs this is something what I should give back because that's something I didn't have, and I know that is definitely lacking in India. And I was thinking, it's something that I need to go back and give because when I grew up, I knew as a youngster, you know, there were sexually active people, whether they were married or not. We had friends and colleagues, we were also, you know, who were sexually active, dating at that point, who were scared about pregnancy. So there were so much important things still we or luckily we were all medical students i think so we knew where to go and you know as access things or read up things and do things for ourselves but if you were not medical a person or if you were a lame youngster in india i think the state of affairs would have been really scary you know and that's why we have all these terminations and abortions that's illegally done and people dying out of it you know they rather die trying terminating that pregnancy rather than saying that they are pregnant and they're not married so that amount of stigma that amount of fear and not knowing where to go is still going on so I feel like I need to come back and give something back we need to change dynamics from the very base and it's going to take a while so it's really nice to see how so many sex educators and so many of us are actually out there doing but I feel like there are also very little dermatology and venereologist because I think dermatology and its cosmetic side is more uh, lucrative than ideology, but i feel like veneerology is the need of the hour so i feel like all of us as doctors need some kind of training to ask the right questions to be in a non-judgmental way and to take this forward in our community right from probably where in the level of MBBS. so i think that's where we need to get in and start talking about how we can actually train our future doctors you can't just assume doctors to You know, some people are from conservative background, different people are from different cultures and upbringing, and I totally get it. But when it comes to a medical college, I think this is something that has to be taught as to what you need to ask, what you need to look for, what are your responsibilities when you're actually dealing with a youngster with sexual symptoms or emotional symptoms, then what you need to ask. So those things are very important. Uh, so I think that's that's where all my training and where I've moved forward has come through and that's the whole thing about why I actually do this as well.
0: Yeah, that sounds pretty amazing and you really hit the nail uh, on the head with how um, scary it is in India today in terms of sexual health and illegal abortions and very, very unsafe practices because how you said very rightly it's Easier to be unsafe and you know possibly yeah. die, then bring, be than, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. then bring
1: shame. Yes, yeah. Uh, then bring
0: shame, quote unquote, yes. shame to your family and everybody else also. Yeah. your partner's and family, your partner. Stigma,
1: yes, yeah, yeah. And as a woman yeah. again, there's different
0: stigma attached, you know, because. Once they know that you are the one who got pregnant and it's like, it's not about the male, it's about the female.
2: Yeah, that's right. And the whole pregnancy is kind of like your responsibility. It's not like somebody could have actually done contraception. I think people think that, oh, pregnancy, oh, you have the uterus. So it is your responsibility. You know, I think again, that's a very, very wrong attitude. You know, uterus owner is not alone responsible for contraception. The other person has to be as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. So Mm -hmm. you... um, I think you said this almost twice that um, in your education in um a lot of sexual aspect of it was very subtle and unspoken. So when you moved from India to, to Australia and you were in Sydney and you got into sexual health, did you personally experience a culture shock of sorts that you had to get in so deep into something that you actually didn't have a lot yeah. of? Background yeah. or training or even growing up in, because we don't grow up like that in India, where you talk very openly about sex, sexual health, or to take care of yourselves, no. unless you come from a and, home which actually and is very sex positive. You know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 I, mean, I don't know. I don't think I grew up in an era where sex positive was not even a thing. I think I at, when I grew up, I thought sex positivity is in my head. You know? I was thinking. I don't think anybody is thinking the way I'm thinking because I thought something was actually wrong with the way i'm thinking you know you made to believe that oh my god don't don't think like that even they go to the level of stopping you from thinking what you're thinking you know i used to feel like oh you know everybody's having sex what you know and then how come we're not talking about contraception or or what about, you know, SDIs? And, you know, when you're reading, especially when you're studying venereology, you're thinking, oh, they're saying all these things about syphilis. You know, it used to be in my head. The sex positivity was not a real thing for me. And I, when I came here, I remember my boss, you know, I always tell the story. I remember my boss saying, you know, okay need, need, like I had this young 18-year-old girl and he said, do you want to take a sexual history? And, and I looked at him and I said, okay, 18-year-old, if I ask her she's having sex or not, that is very powerful for me because I wouldn't dare do that back home I don't think I can look at an 18 year old and actually say do you have sex so I thought okay he's asking me to ask her whether you have sex or not so I, I did ask her that so I said are you sexually active do you have sex or not and she said yes and then and I looked at him and he said yeah go on and 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 I was like, I really did not know. I was like, yeah, I asked her. She's yes, she's having sex. And I stopped there. That that was good enough for me because that itself was something that I was not taught or could not dare ask to an 18-year-old. And then he pulled out like a two pages of uh, history, you know, two pages of wow. sexual history Literally, I still do it, we still do it in my workplace where we go through two pages of sexual history. And I'm thinking, what? And, and literally he said, just, just just, go through this. And he showed me with this girl how he took over. And he went through this whole history. Amazing. Like amazing in the sense, not a winch, not, not a thing in his face. Not one, you know, eyebrow or expression, nothing. And no judgment. And, and it was amazing. I fell in love with that feel just, you know, straight away. Because the way you ask. I mean, I think I had a I had a good skill that I've learned the skill now. You know, I've learned the skill of how I really make it so easy within five minutes because I have half an hour with a patient and I need to break the iceberg right there. I need to tell them I'm confidential, I'm non-judgmental, you've got to open yourself to me. I'm going to help you there. And it it has to happen within five minutes. And I think it's an art. It's an art that has to be taught. You can't expect doctors to actually be inborn with it. And I feel that is something that we have to teach people. We have to start teaching people in India, especially doctors. You know, just the amount of detailed work we go in to actually provide the right care is just fantastic. And it's done in a very, very non-judgmental way. And I think by the time we end the consultation, we leave people thinking that I'm in the right place. He doesn't care. You know, I can tell her whatever. And that also gives us questions. We also put in questions of screening, we call. We're asking, are you a victim of domestic violence? Is anybody threatening you? Are you threatened of someone? And we ask, have you ever been, we never use the word abuse or rape because it's very, uh, you know, intimidating for a lot of people who have actually gone through it. So we just, we phrase it like saying, have you ever been forced to have any sex at all in your life? And, and once you gain the confidence and put these questions forward, even when people don't do it in the first consultation, they will come back if they know they have to talk to you or if they have something to tell you, you know, and stuff like that. So they definitely do come back and talk to you about it. So for me, everything was surprising. Everything was amazing. And the amount of gratitude that people showed to me, you know to you to be actually doing this and to be able to bring this out of them and support them with counseling and the right testing and you know psychologist support or whatever it can be very traumatic you know these experiences and and you know expecting people to actually keep it within themselves and cope with it and somehow face the world is just unrealistic it's unfair
1: yeah it's Unf- unfair. unfair yeah that's, that's not
2: yeah. necessary and that's yeah. a bit too
1: so yeah so that's how this happened and uh yeah yeah it sounds amazing i i was just thinking while
0: you were talking about this there's only one time in india where i've met uh actually an obgyn who was very very subtle in her questioning i think she's the only one i've ever met in india who actually made the effort to ask me about my sexual history and I wasn't married then so I remember how she did it and i would never forget it because it's my favorite story uh, to share because I found it so funny yet also so great. So I remember great. I was with my mom and uh, um, so I went into the, you know, the little booth you go to to get inspected. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: and and uh, she's and she's and at this time, this is at least six years back, and uh, she's um, she's a much older doctor. Um, so she goes, and I was thinking it was going to be pretty straightforward. And she does the most, the most coolest thing. She nudges me <laughs> and
1: whispers, "She's like, are you sexually?" and oh, i was like at least was like, she what? bought it to us <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, thank oh, god
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> and the thing is so i mean we are lucky we come from a home where um we have we were very sex positive always our mom gave us the talk and she showed us how to use protection what to do if we have oh. we get pregnant and everything you know so we are blessed so i found it comical because i was like it's funny, my mom is right there, but she's making an effort to ask me, which I found so amazing. So she That's asked me amazing. about my, if I have sex, with my sexual history, what oh, do so I use, perfect. you know, protection. Good, and uh, if I've, if I've she, had an STI. Was she MTI? trained there? Was she trained in India? Or yeah, she yeah, yeah I actually had no idea. I never even, it's possible. You asked the right question. It's very possible she came uh,
1: from, uh, somewhere. Well, because from I would, somewhere
0: else. If I came to India,
1: yeah, yeah, I
2: I would
0: be like,
1: you know, smashing the question right
0: there. So uh, Nivi, this is something I've actually read multiple times and I want to talk to you about this, that there is a relationship between your sexual health and your sexual encounters with your mental health. How much truth is there to that? And could you tell us with an example?
2: Yes. See, I think it is very, very important, the connection between one's sexual health and mental health, because a sexual health is actually something that people identify themselves as. And I think a sexual uh, need or your sexuality is how you identify yourself as. So it's actually really, really big, you know, being a woman or being a man, you know, if a man is not able to perform, let's just say, it's very big for him because he identifies himself from the thing of, you know, being able to perform or being able to, like, you know, get that erection or orgasm or whatever that is. So that is a very, very important part of every man and woman, to be honest. And, you know, women feeling happy about themselves, you know, their body image, feeling sexy about themselves, so is how they see themselves as. So I think this has a very big impact on people's mental health. It's just a shame that people are not Or they're not at least, you know, able to talk about their sexuality and and what they are, their sexual orientation, their sexual needs. It's not so spoken. And unfortunately, it being a very stigma and a very taboo area, I think kind of made people's mental health or them being depressed because of that even much more than what it could be if somebody actually spoke out loud about it. Like, you know, if you if you talk about your sexual health and if you say like, this is how I feel, because a lot of the times when you see like men and women, they say like, Especially those, you know, with, you know, with let's say premature ejaculation or somebody who's not able to orgasm. A lot of the time they come back and say, I don't even feel like a man anymore. Or I don't feel like a woman anymore. And when they say things like that, that's when you realize how powerful that need and that sexuality is to someone's identity. And when the identity is at risk, when you're self-questioning yourself, the first thing it affects is your mental health. You know, and it also affects it because it is very shush-shush, because you don't know who to talk to about it. You don't know who's going to fix this or help you. Um, You feel like something is wrong. You feel like you're not good enough and you're beating yourself up with it. And you're probably getting terribly depressed. Um, And there is a lot of uh, shame with your performance. And I feel like there's a lot of uh, low self-esteem that could be associated with the performance of, you know, both men and women. So I feel like sexual health has such a major role in one person's confidence and how they feel and mental health and how they carry
0: things. Is it right to assume that when um, people are coming to you with sexual health concerns that there is? a correlation to their mental health and then you can't actually treat one without the other.
2: Yes, it's really, really very true how you said this because all our sexual health units and workplaces here have at least one to two psychologists working on site with us. Like, for example, there could be a person coming for an STI screen and I could have kindled things about have you been forced to have any sex? And then I or he could have felt comfortable to come out with something that they haven't come out for a long time. And, you know, I haven't, like I said, I haven't really happened an now. So I can't just say, OK, that was good meeting you now that you've told me you've been raped when you're 16. Uh, that's very good. I'll see you in my next comfort. I mean, yeah. you know. You know, I I just can't do that. That's not how you deal with life. And that's not how you deal with patients. But I know sometimes you have like a time restriction and doctors sometimes say, you know, okay, fine, I'll see you next week. But no, no, this is what I think is different from other field of medicine. When you're dealing with, you know, mental health and when you're dealing with sexual health and things that are actually taboo, you can't sometimes just get and stuff things out of people and then just cut them off and say okay i'll see you in about two weeks you know it doesn't quite work like that so we have psychologists and psychiatrists even psychiatrists in the hospital at board. and when we need to refer and when we have a person you know is who's completely having a meltdown or falling apart there's no way we'll cut them down you know we will send them so i will talk to them for half an hour bring the psychologist in introduce them to her or him they will take them, they have an hour session for them, calm them oh. down sometimes you know we make a cup of tea, get them a cake, give them a hug, whatever it takes, you know. Like,
0: it's a, that it's sounds really- just beautiful. Yeah, it's, yes. it's such a wholesome yes. way of treating love Treating Manly something man. that is uh, treating something that is so, like you said, it's so hush-hush everywhere, especially in our culture and especially in I would say in our culture, anywhere in our societies, anywhere in the world and not just in India, like no, the fact no. that you belong to India, it's like Let's not ever talk about. That's even worse. I know. That's worse. But like I said, like I work in in here
2: in Sydney, right? But then people have the same feeling. People people feel extremely mortified when they are identified with SBI, and they come with terrible guilt and shame. You know that comes with it, and just to make them feel like a normal, you know, person, and you know, you have your and your personality and your love and the person you are has nothing to do with your sexual needs or who you slept with and how you got this SBI. And making them feel that way is actually, it's a process and it's an art. And I think, uh, yeah, I really, I, I love what we do. And I think there are a whole, not just me, there's a whole bunch of sexual specialists here who love their job and you know, who do this. And our counselors are just absolutely fantastic. Uh, awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, so I do ask, I do agree with you, Nishka. I don't think we should be taking care of sexual health or mental health or any kind of personal things like that without having a psychologist on board. And a lot of the time, sexual health affects people's relationships, you know. Uh, and, and nobody, again, talks about it. It could be like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? A be, you know, pregnant but there is no further going and, you know, talking about uh, things. So when it comes to, again, somebody else's sexual health, you everybody's like, go and see your gynecologist do all your fertility tests i think even fertility specialists i'm sure should have a whole bunch of psychologists on board no we have to yeah talk because
0: about- actually when i was uh, thinking of this podcast conversation itself i so many conversations started coming to mind and i was talking to Malaika about this as well that um you know when throughout your life especially when you're younger um at, at least for me when i was a lot younger and um i've had these conversations with girlfriends in college when i was working and there was this statement which has come up so many times that i've heard from women who are in my age group women who are older as well and women who are younger so i can't even say it's like an age factor so no. i'm you know so you hear people say when it comes to um, being intimate with your partner that you know what just do it now how does it matter don't you love the person why aren't mm. you doing what they are asking you to do?
1: What's the big mm. deal? Mm.
0: You know. And uh, I, whenever I used to hear this, I used to always think there's something wrong, and I couldn't understand at that point when I heard this. and why did I think it was wrong? But I could never imagine doing something like that if I wasn't comfortable, you know. Um, but why do we as why do we as people fall into this trap of doing something for our partners? You know because we are we, we just think that oh we have to do it to keep them happy otherwise mm-hmm. we are just not valuable in the relationship especially when we are mm-hmm. uncomfortable with something sexually could be trying mm-hmm. something new could be mm-hmm. just maybe you're just not in the mood or you know could be so many things when you just don't want to do it but you do it because you're like, you know what if I don't do it then I'm the bad person. Why does that happen?
2: And I always believe that it comes from the culture of where we have been constantly told that we have to be good and better than what we are. So it always has to be better than what we are. We are. We haven't been raised in a culture where we have said, "Oh, she got only sixty percent in her science. It's, oh, yeah, okay, that's all. She doesn't like science, maybe. You know, usne hard work. Yeah, she got sixty. That's enough. Never." I have never, I don't think even now, I don't think that's ever, that's ever. We always in the, and we could have got in arts, maybe in art, you know, we we would get 90 or, you know, A or B or whatever that is in art. But that is not even like, who sees art? You know, and science, and then immediately you have been compared to, did you see Asha? She got 92 in science. And did you see? Uh, and so it is called, con- I mean, it's constantly like looking, like, you know, this also things constantly looking at a fish who's swimming in the water and constantly saying, did you see that elephant? Did you see that elephant? So it, it, it's, we're kind of conditioned by somebody who loves us. Like, for example, our parents, you know, when our parents keep telling us it's not good enough, Two things. One is we believe that somebody who loves us can keep saying that it is not good enough, can keep telling us that we are not good enough. And we also believe that the reason that they're saying we are not good enough is because they love us. So that we will improve and become good one day. And you know, we just we, we kind of conditioned to that. That people who love you will come and tell you that you're not good enough. And the reason that they're saying this is because they love you. You know, and we are conditioned to that. And with the same condition, we go into a relationship or into the bedroom, let's just say. And you know, when a person actually says, Arey, come on, yeah, do na," I mean, let's say, like, let's say someone does not like to do oral, or they don't like doing blowjobs, so they really have a very bad gag reflex, and they really cannot, right? But no, so unfortunately for the person, or for whatever in the relationship, if you are really someone who fancy oral, let's just say, you know, and they say, "Arey, come on, ya, what is the big deal? Everyone does the oral," and you kind of make that person feel like they're not good enough. You. You kind of make them feel like something is wrong with you. How come you're not able to do what, I don't know, X, Y, and Z. And you're also trying to make them feel insecure about themselves in keeping the relationship. So it's like almost like if you don't do this, there is X, Y, and Z who can actually do this. And the person is questioning themselves. They're questioning their confidence. You know, they're saying, oh my God, do I have to do this? And if I don't do this, will he or she go to someone else? Am I not satisfying their needs and those kind of things, you know? So they start doing things that they don't want to do, they're not comfortable doing, or you know, they even like now there's Google and all this. So the poor things, I think most of the time they're sitting and googling as to how I can do this better or how I can do that better, and which is really sad. Which is which is really sad, and I feel like. This is not enough if you educate the person alone who you are trying to say, you know, say no. How do we say no? How do we say not to do it? It is not, that's not enough. But also the person who's actually asking, you know, that is where the communication comes in place. It's for that person who's in the relationship to make sure that your yes, your partner probably has a gag reflex. you probably can't do oral. Yes, maybe oral is pleasurable. But how are you going to deal with it? You know, it's not nice really to go and say, "Are do now, everybody is doing, what is the big deal? And that's not how communication works. Or that's not how a sensitive human being actually should talk about this. You know, it should be a little bit more sensitive. Yes, but we should say, oh, I really like it, you know, if you do it because I feel pleasure. And it's very important that he or she communicates it. But it is also very important to see how you can do that. You know, can we use different toys or can you use something else that, you know, make feels like that overall sex that you are not able to do it and make the partner in that relationship a little bit more comfortable rather than guilt-tripping them into what they cannot do for you or what they cannot give you. And the partner also takes it very positively. You know, we have to take everything in a positive stride. If you can't dance, let's take it in a positive stride and go and learn dance. So this partner also takes it in a very, very positive stride and goes around Googling and finding, you know, how to do better oral sex. And, you know, poor thing. And you're thinking, well, she shouldn't have to. She shouldn't have to. Nobody should have to go and force themselves to do things that is not their forte. And they shouldn't be able to... She should be able to communicate about this. And I think that's where the condition comes from. You think this guy loves you because he has now told you that we're not good enough in doing this and you have to improve in something. And he's given you a task that you want to go and improve in. And you are very busy doing that because that's what your parents did. They give you tasks that you had to improve in, prove that you're not useless or you're not, you know. So you, now, you, now you have a task that you have to prove that, oh, I can do oral sex. And we're going to go and work towards it. So that is something that we are kind of, I think that I'm bringing. It's something that we are used to. And we are happy to do that even in, you know, bedrooms and relationships and a whole bunch of things.
0: So it's right to assume then how our parents love us and treat us manifests in our relationships in our bedrooms. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. If you can say no to your parent and get away with it, you'll probably be very confident and say no in the bedroom and get away with it. Damn. That's the biggest uh, learning. <laughs> yes. It, because you know, you can't say no. Can you say can you say no and, and get away with it? No. And it's like, no, no to hoi nahi sakta How can you say no? No. So ye, kya bolenge, What will this person say? That person say, but she is doing, he is doing. Eventually they coerce you into doing whatever you said no in the first place. So that is a norm. That is how the upbringing works and people who love you actually can say please 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 corona she is doing no if people can actually cohort and you believe that these are people who love you the same thing can happen when you grow up they can actually say array please please now let's do angel what is their big deal na, you know and you feel like oh they have said and I'm doing and you don't even you don't even see this as manipulation. You don't even see this is coercion.
0: Yeah, because you think this is exactly how love is. Because that's how your parents <laughs> loved you. And so yeah, like, and you yeah mean, of course. Yeah. I mean, this is what I'm supposed to be
2: doing.
1: Yeah, and this you say
2: no. And people will say, please, please, please. And then you have to say yes. This is something yeah. that you... And if you say that, oh, she said yes. After saying so much, yeah. she said yes. So in that yeah. way, you're a very obedient child. You know, you're yeah. a nice child. And those of us who say no means no are very rebellious. So Yeah,
0: you're immediately labelled as a difficult person, a difficult child, a difficult difficult partner. I was like, 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 you know,
2: know, my mother actually when I was very young, around 21. And I think uh, every time I said no and I put my foot down to saying no, I can't or whatever. I was, you know, people always said, oh my God, how has your mom raised you? Oh my God, you know, she's so stubborn. And and, and I, I used to think, yeah, really? And honestly, thank God, couldn't give a fuck but uh, yeah but i think that's very important you know it's very very important because if somebody let's say like you know you have like an uncle to or auntie G or somebody coming you know and people say go uh, aja, aja, or you know come and sit on my lap or you know cuddle them or you know and and if if somebody if a child actually says no you should be able to say it's okay she doesn't want to you know that that culture has to come because only then because child ne no bola and then you said okay because they said no instead if you said, don't be like that you know your uncle's calling you he wants to cuddle and kiss you go and cuddle him bola, and then then what are you teaching her you know then you're saying even if you say no if people it's say you do it so so it has to change there i think it has to change right there no means no has to change there then as you grow into the bedroom. We can say, and we won't feel guilty to say no as well, right? Like you said, like, you know, it is in the middle of a, we're having sex. We're not in a war zone. So it's a very, uh, you know, it's a very pleasant feeling. And, you know, everybody's in high hormone and all good things are happening there. And saying no shouldn't almost feel like you're going to get into a war zone.
0: Yeah, No, you you shouldn't
2: shouldn't be scared. No, you shouldn't be scared and you shouldn't say, if I say no, then will he say, you know, yeah, whatever. And please, if I say no, will he then not call me tomorrow? You know, just all those fears that you'll have along associated with the word no shouldn't be there. No is like, you know, people are saying these days, no is a full sentence on its own. There is no argument. There is no saying, but if she did, no, 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 no. No is no. And that has to be from you know, inherited and planted in yourself from your elders as a very
0: young age. Yeah, I think that's when you have a healthy relationship with no you think that okay, it's okay for me to say no versus when you grow older and you realize you're saying no and you're being negatively treated, because you have no idea but then when you learn as a kid that no is the same as yes, Yes.
1: then you're like comfortable and happy like you know what my no, my no is enough and no doesn't define like a no shouldn't define whether somebody is going to come for coffee tomorrow
2: on just because you say no for I don't know shouldn't define whether they want to have a relationship with you. So you know, when before we say no, we think about all these things. You know, people don't say no because of all the fear of whatever, X, Y, and z And it shouldn't be there. No should be a normal sentence. No should be like yes. So, you know, if you if you're having sex, you're having a great time, it's like, do you want to do anus, like not today? No. Simple, move on. You got to move on from there, you know. They shouldn't worry about it. You know, yeah, that fear shouldn't be there. So yeah. That's yeah. Important.
1: rightly said. You know, interestingly, this is something Nishtha and I were discussing a couple of times and before the podcast began as well. The consent and the idea of what you were just talking about, just saying no. Right? And being able to say no without having to justify it. We see the jokes about, oh I have a headache today. But do you have to say you have a headache today can it just be no can it just be not today or any of those things or you know maybe we tried something last week so why don't you want to do it today or whatever and um, even in relationships both partners need to want to have sex it can't just be that you know I want to then why don't you want to or whatever things like that but in all these situations how I mean you've said about you've spoken about just now that you know it has to be something that's normalized in your life the ability to be able to say no from a very young age but now we can't go back into you know uh back about 20 years and change that Mm -hmm. how do couples today how do what do you tell you know your patients or just advice to listeners that how do you start saying that no how do you start building that you know, relationship with your partners, whether one night stands, whether multiple sex partners or relationships, whatever it might be. How do you start doing that today? Look,
2: I mean, with you're right, you don't have to actually use the word no consent can be in various forms. You know, it can be something like Arey yaar, I have a headache today. You know, it can be that. But that is a very clear cut. I don't want to have sex with you. No? It doesn't ma- it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be uh no, I don't want, want to you don't have to verbalize it like that. You know, it could be anything. And it could you know. Sometimes it's really hard in a long, it's easier, I think, in casual relationship. It's really hard in a long term relationship because you want to keep the relationship going. You want the dynamics going, but you still want to be able to say no to things that you don't want to do or on days that you don't want to do, which I feel like is very, very, very difficult. Initially in a relationship, I think people try. I'm sure people try. And as the relationship grows, it just becomes too much. You know, Sometimes they start thinking, is it even worth it? You know, das, das ka baat hai, na, khas do. You know, just do it, get in the, you know, it's not even worth the argument and then it goes on till tomorrow, breakfast, you know, to suba suba utke, he'll come with a long face. You know, all this stuff, you know. Um just to keep peace and just to keep things, people actually do it. But but to be honest even that is constant enough for the other parties what is important like if if your husband or wife you know if you feel like you want to do it and if your husband says I'll, i'm just going to watch this netflix and i'll come you know later and he does actually sleeps off in the couch let's just say you no know? and if he does it more than two three times it's kind of singing like i don't want to have sex with you, you know in a way You know, it doesn't have to be no, but, you know, I mean, nobody is so dumb, you know, we got to pick these things up. And I think if it is happening in a regular basis, communication in every way is so important. So you might want to go and actually... Ah, Ask, don't be dumb and say, come no, why don't you? No, that's not no, no. You want to really go and ask, okay, I understand that this is what has been happening, but what is what is underlying this? What is it? Is it because like is it genuinely like physically you're not aroused or interested, or mentally is something stressing you, or something is happening between the relationship? There's so much to address. Um, with that and I think that is very very important and the consent has body language uh, you know sign languages and how people behave also has to be taken as consent especially in long-term relationships I think because that is becoming something that people are not even like a lot of the times people don't even know that their partners are saying no that their partners have not been You know, giving consent, and they have been, you know, coercing. Like, you know, the minute she says, I'm tired, immediately you make her feel guilty saying, You're always tired. You know, and you want to say, You've got three kids, you've just done your dishes, and probably the buy is not coming tomorrow morning. What do you expect me to actually be, you know? So, just making her feel guilty that she's always tired or she's not coming and having sex. So, that's that's not how this works. So, if she says, it's like it's fine at that point don't coerce her to have sex with you and be and then think that no, she, she's just doing it to shut you up because she's got so much else to do after this 10 minutes and does not want to wake up in the morning to this grumpy face of argument or whatever that is that this may prolong into you know so clearly she's doing it for that reason so instead of Doing that, it is worthwhile, you know, when you're going out, I don't know, maybe say, okay, today's a day day no cooking, no cleaning, nothing, plan something for people, organize something for people, and then possibly, you know, it's again, even for them, we're talking about people who have to say no, right? But we also have to talk about people who have to communicate about yes, because for some people probably... Wanting to have sex two to three times a week is important. It's very, very important. It's, it's, an, it's an important need. And you're right. If somebody else is not able to give that again, rather than say hurtful things, you know, and say you're always tired and things like that, I think take time to communicate. And I think, uh, I mean, I know I sound like, you know, you have counselors for everything, but I feel like it's very important, you know, have someone to be able to communicate and say, look, I my needs are more than yours. How do we do this? how I mean what what if we do like if we keep a cook who cooks dinner every night will that make your life easier will it make you a little bit less stressed so we can do something so every other weekend should be like you know ask if my mom or your mom can watch the kids and she you think you know if we have like a day and a half do you think will be? so figure out what can make her want to say yes for all you know even you actually coming and asking that question Would want her jump on you and have sex with you you know to be honest sometimes you don't really you really don't even have to actually you know you actually don't even have this is what i'm thinking you know rather than being that sometimes being sensitive is what people actually need and just your words you know just you saying are you tired i understand what can we do i want to do it more what can we do and then you know just just saying her that i'm sure i'm sure if you come up with things like this just suggestions that's enough now definitely wo karne wali hai. <laughs> you know you just you convinced her you convinced her that she's going to because sometimes that's all you need you know your brain is so stressed you feel not loved in a, you know you know you feel not recognized in a way like you're doing so much but i'm not recognized you know you feel like i'm not getting enough attention you don't feel sexy you don't feel attention the minute somebody throws the whole attention light on you and makes you feel like you're so important how can i make your life any better i feel like you know all the tiredness of your life it just lightens up and it is so important for partners to actually Figure that out, you know, whether it's a short relationship, long term relationship or, you know, gay or lesbian couple, you know, what, what is that that the other person actually wants and needs to feel sexy, to feel wanting to have sex and you need to actually speak about that. And that communication is
1: very important in terms of the man always just wanting it or the man always wanting to try new things or, you know, all the statements you've made till now. And even the questions that I've worked. Asked as well was about how does a girl or woman learn to say no or whatever. And the part of me was trying to figure out, you know, how often is it reversed? And for the life of me, at least I've never heard a situation where it's reversed. Uh, but just sort out of curiosity, do you get cases of the flip side as well? I think so. I think, I think there is, I, I'm sure
2: women are very, very horny, and uh, I think no. And, <laughs> No, and and I think the negative side to that is again when women actually push this through and if they want to have sex and the man's not interested let's just say I think the fear of being slut shamed or fear of being called a horny bitch is very big when compared to men you know when men are horny there's no such word there's no such word to say oh my god you know there's no such word to describe it. But when women actually say, you know, come on, yeah, I want to do it at least two to three times a week. I don't think we are still so open enough to be able to verbalize it without a judgment. And that's important. You know, even even women themselves judging women or, you know, I think I think the judgment that comes with this is what keeps the women shut. You know, they may masturbate or, you know, they may actually you know find toys and stuff like that and you know help themselves rather than actually go and confront the person that they're having relationship with saying the amount of time you're not you're having sex is not enough you know this and i think it because because shaming them for wanting you know more sex is so easy and i think that happens a lot so in a relationship Look, I I can't generalize and say all men, to be honest. I'm sure there's some really, really lovely men out there who are really very sex positive, uh, who are feminist as well, to be honest, and, you know, are out there to give and ask and, you know, make people feel the right way. And, and there are people who don't actually, I'm sure there are people who don't slut shame people, who don't talk about people. But for the rest of them who do, I think it's time to just you know sit back and work on relationships you know women are very horny beings and they in fact different age and different part of your cycle and periods and this and that you know you can be really extremely horny and and honestly your whole premenstrual jebang you know with your mood swings and you want to fall apart and having good sex actually comes you know very hand in hand and I don't think that amount of psychology is actually known or understood by any man you know because you are grumpy. And, you know you you're very uh you're very sharp you're very grumpy you're very teary but at the same time that is your horniest period unfortunately uh so you know so so i think that's very important you know in a relationship that somebody actually knows you know what's going to actually fix her is a good sex to be honest um <laughs> you know <laughs> she'll probably try that's really funny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true though isn't it like it's true and and I don't think men are educated so much you know yeah. how many men actually know that that's what's happening within you know when women don't go and talk with the fear of thinking oh I don't know what he's going to think if I say I want to have sex you know we wait for them to initiate yeah. or we wait for them you know uh to do that so which which again I think is a long we' are long away from them, I like I think it it'll, it'll change you know we we're teaching women to communicate we we're, we're teaching men how women feel and we're teaching men about menstruation and you know p m s and a lot of things, so I think it's a, like a group effort where everything will change like I said, communication will change uh, and saying no will be very easy you know taken upon and like I said saying yes can be yes in different forms like I said they don't have to say yes let's have sex but it can be something like you know she might be all dressed in a lingerie all cuddled up or you know there are different ways to show signs of you know they want to do it today so I think all that should be taken as content and people should start pretending like they didn't know she said no.
1: And that also goes both ways it can't just be key, our sex there has to be more than that and need to much like you need to understand the signs for no you need to be able to understand the science for yes i never actually heard anyone put words to that that you we need to also learn how to verbalize yes it can't be a demand that you just make similarly yeah. some people aren't as comfortable saying it so therefore what you said you know she might be curled up with her laundry or something like that but we need to pick up all of those signs and we know how you tied it up perfectly well communication Absolutely. We, when you're in a long-term yeah. relationship kind of figure it out
2: Now you kind of figure out the body science of she's Ooh. up for it or she's not up for it you be f- easy no you'll yeah. you
0: see the boiling face or you'll see her all <laughs> look calm she's gonna do it I think it's, it but, again it boils down to just being very tuned into each other right yeah like yes. if you're tuned into each other I think it's, yeah. it's just be understand. Yeah. Understand. Yeah. 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 understand yeah both of you understand both yeah. of
2: you understand body language it's not uh you know, it's not rocket science it's very simple yeah, yeah. And I think consent can be understood in in very easy way. It's an excuse to say that I didn't know that she didn't want or he didn't want. Because a lot of the times it's very obvious. It's very obvious. And I think in casual relationships, sorry, you were asking about that. And I feel like that can be a little bit hard because you're just someone you don't know. You don't know. Like you said, you're in the heat of the moment. A lot of the times, you know, you probably had a couple of drinks and, you know, both of you want to have sex. Sometimes you may have condoms, maybe not. If you're strong enough to say, no, I don't want to do it without a condom because I'm not comfortable, that is great. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the times it is really hard. I understand it's really hard. And if you don't have a condom or if your condom is actually sitting in a car, car very, very bad place to store condom because of the heat and cold and heat and cold. So it rips and it breaks so easily. So condoms and, you know, room loops that are stored in the car bonnet is a very bad idea. And it's also a bad idea to just constantly, like I think a wallet is like your handbag is okay because it comes with you and goes with you and stuff. It doesn't just sit in the heat in the car. Uh, but yeah, so so like that, we do have a lot of condom breaks and things like that that can happen if that is what the case or even unprotected sex. So in that case, I feel like, you know, if that is something that you really don't want to do, not comfortable you have to be prepared in that way you know carry condoms in your bag and be able to negotiate that or get regular STI testing make sure you have a good backup contraception because every time if this is what you're doing and you you know and you're not able to negotiate condom you don't want to keep using the morning after pill no. Um, so you have to make sure you have a good contraception in place and just every three to six months get yourself regularly tested so you're not having an STI if you're not able to negotiate you know you know condom use in casual relationships so I think that's very important so those kind of safe sexual practices is very important around casual sex as well.
1: I'm talking about that and talking about you know relationships as well going back to that for a minute because as you said when it's casual and when it's a fling or when it's one night stands or whatever anyway the conversation gets a little more complicated but coming back to relationships and partners um, again this is a little bit of a reiteration of the previous question but you know what you just said being caught in the heat of the moment and it's different when you're having a conversation it's different when you haven't gotten into the act yet but Mm -hmm. very often when you're in the act and then Mm -hmm. it's like oh you know let's try this or you hear something that we haven't done before Or, or even without saying it you know one of the partners starts progressing towards something and then you're kind of like caught for a second like okay you know if I stop him or her now but I'm going to go with him for now if I stop him will it kill the mood completely you know will we just stop having sex and will I just ruin the mood and I would have ruined the evening and then there's a whole split second judgment that you need to make that do I let it happen or do I not let it happen and if he is doing it it's happening organically so let it just happen um is it manipulative to do it in the act or is it, you know, is it the benefit of the doubt that maybe that's just happening organically and you just need to decide what you're comfortable with and not comfortable with. But then how in the middle of the do you say no and still do with it? if somebody actually knows that is something
2: that you've said no to before and they bring it again in the middle of an act and if your brain is actually thinking everything that you just said, Malaika, your, your heat is gone. It's already gone. You know, you, you, you are in a, honestly, your, your entire estrogen that was so high just dropped completely down and started thinking about, I don't want to do this. It's going to be painful. Why is he asking me now? But I really like what you do. You know, if your brain is going in the rate of thinking that, mm. actually the amount of high, you might still be, you know, kissing him or cuddling him. But you're definitely dropped from where you were you you you're still you're still not there so so that's a shame so that's a shame that you have to recognize that that it's it's dropped and if he doesn't recognize that you know asking her this in the like last time he asked or she asked and we have said no in the first place and and asking her this in the middle of a sexual act is actually going to drop her you know sexual uh, drive that is there mm-hmm. at the moment if he or she has not Realized this and thought that they could actually slide something that you hate or didn't want to in between a sexual act that is manipulative and very inconsiderate and Mm -hmm. very inconsiderate of the fact that they didn't care how your mood might go off. You're worried about his mood or her mood going off. If I say no to this, let's say anal sex, I'm just going to take it as an example. If I say, you know, if I'm not going to have anal now, will his mood or her mood go and you're still continuing to kiss and you're still hugging and all this is going in your head, which means it's clearly, like I said, your mood's gone. But the person who asked actually did not think that, you know, she already said no to anal. But if I ask her now while we're doing it, it will probably make upset her. It will probably spoil her mood. Did not think about it, not a second. So if without thinking about that, if that came in again in the middle of when you were so high, you should move back, you know, mm-hmm. because it's gone. It's gone anyway. It just dropped anyway. You're overthinking. Your pleasure of that moment's gone. They didn't respect what you said mm-hmm. in the first go. And like you said, this is more like we sh- talking in terms of short term you know relationships we're not talking long term you know relationships where you have time to actually date and explain and talk and sexual needs you know that that can be a little bit nicely done in the long term mm-hmm. when you're doing casual sex or when you meet someone for the second time and the first time they've already mentioned this and the second time like you said you're drunk you're in the heat of the moment and it's all happening and they still didn't bother they still couldn't you know be bothered and they came up with this it's a big no it's a big turn off it'll turn you off absolutely and um yes, I mean I might say no again and we might still continue probably, you know, uh, you know, having sex on that night. Let's just say, but I might still say no. I don't think I am someone who would say sex has to be pleasurable. I'm very um, I'm a big believer of that. It has to be pleasurable in every way, whether it's whatever it is you're doing, you know, whether it's foreplay, whether you're kissing in the car, or whether it's fingering or penetrative. I don't think it's worth tolerating the pain. Like, for example, like, anal may not be for everyone. And for some people, vaginal sex or, you know, having the size of a different person's penis or having, like, about a whole hand put in may be painful, uh, you know. So, sex should not be compromised to tolerate pain for someone else. That's That's a very, I'm very clear about that. And I think people should not tolerate that at all. Sex has to be pleasurable for you. You know, it's okay to be self-centered. It's okay to be
1: um,
2: selfish because sometimes you have to be self-centered and se- selfish because this is your sexual needs. Yes, you have to give, in, give it, give what your partner needs and he can give you what you need. And it's all very mutual and consensual. But it cannot be painful and tolerate. And, you know, some people, you know, the words we associate, the adjectives we associate with sex is not that I will definitely not associate those things with sex. I think it has to, like I said, consensual, pleasurable, you know, romantic, love, I could associate all those words with sex, but, you know, toleration, withstanding, pain, you know, torture, all those things, stigma, what people Mm -hmm. say, all those things are not the words that have to be associated with sex at all. And I think everybody needs to be very, very clear with that.
1: So just to kind of put that all together, one would be communication is important. You do need to talk about what you are okay with. And then I guess what you're also saying is you need to listen to yourself and be okay with the fact that I don't want this right now. Or, you know, maybe I want it tomorrow, maybe I won't, but right now not happening no. and then be able to say that. Just yeah. know. Yeah. Communication and then listening to yourself as well. And listening to them as well. You
2: know, that's also a part yeah. of communication. So I think yeah. that's very important. So let's just say like, I don't know, in the long run, you meet up with someone two, three times. And if they say, you know, that, you know something that I I really like, I would like to try in the long run. And then probably it's worthwhile communicating saying, but I'm really worried or I'm scared. Can we just, you know, first probably, I don't know, try a finger, could we do these? There's different ways to talk this through rather than, you know, doing it then or not or guilt tripping someone into, come on, you know, why can't you do it? Everybody, That's different. Then again, it's about being sensitive. It's about talking. And if somebody cannot do it, they cannot do it. You know, you just have to accept it and see how else you can do it. You know, there are so many toys these days. You know, this, those flashlights and this and that that you can use for feeling of whether you want to do it in the or oral. And you can probably try and do something like that because your partner said they're not comfortable. Simple. As simple as that, you know, it's not rocket science. So...
0: So, Nevi, today, before we wrap up, we're going to ask you um, our famous raise the bar question. So, Nevi, how do you think we as a global society of Indians everywhere can raise the bar for ourselves and therein raise the bar for everybody around us in any way possible?
1: Nishka, I think we're already doing
2: it. I think the bunch of us who have already started or being a part of this community that we are now have already raised our bar. I think we are a group of people. Yes, I think we are a group of people whose bar is very raised. And 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 we are trying to reach those people who are there who are raising their hands up to us saying, can you pull me out as well? I want to raise my bar to yours. So I think that is fantastic. And I think education is fantastic. And you guys using the you know the social media, the podcast everything that we are doing to actually bring the word and also sharing our own real life stories, you know, telling that this is not just textbook that we are telling you, this is something that we have gone through or we are doing in our day to day lives. And, you know, that is very, very important. You know, I think, you know, like there is this whole, you know, single parent um, community and group where there are business women and entrepreneurs and people talking about it and saying, Oh, this is not okay. You know, domestic violence is not okay. Abuse is not okay. And stuff like that. So a lot of us, people coming out and saying that this is not okay and you know and we have done it You know, we, we can't just say oh you do it and you know people are not going to listen to you so to for us to have raised our bars and be able to say i'm doing it and there are a whole bunch of people who are doing it whether you want to do it or not it's up to you and this is how you mm-hmm. can do it so i think that's what we're already doing and i think we're doing well we're getting there
0: you're absolutely right clap for all of us yeah yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, maybe it was super amazing having you hey there thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of raise the brow follow the podcast on Instagram and YouTube and hey slide into our DMs because we would love to hear from you don't forget to share the podcast or this very episode with anyone who you think needs this in their life